Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned you. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Welcome to King's Cross. Um, As Oscar said at the beginning, we're a new church plant. I know there's a few visitors here in the room, so we want to especially welcome you guys um, to our, our young church family. And uh, thanks for just being with us as we kind of are still in the process of taking the training wheels off this thing. We're in this exciting uh, season in the life of our, of our young church. We've been meeting in this back room here, and um, it looks like we're moving on closely to, to finding a more long-term location here. Uh, and we're just grateful for what, what Jesus is doing. He's been faithful to build his church just like he promise. Uh, and so, uh, if again, if you're new with us, uh, to kind of let you know uh, where we're at right now, like as far as like our, our preaching series, is uh, we just finished a series through the book of Nehemiah. Uh, and what we're going to do now is we're going to spend a couple weeks uh, talking to some about our, our, our core values, our core beliefs on what we are prayerfully hoping will shape us as a church community. And so today we're going to have this sort of standalone sermon, sermon on what we're calling gospel shaped community. So that's what we're talking about this morning, gospel-shaped community. What does the community of Jesus look like? What does the community of Jesus look like when it's shaped by the gospel, when it's shaped by the good news? We want to be a gospel-centered, gospel-driven, gospel-shaped church, and so um, that's what we're talking about this morning. And this question, this sort of this debate that goes on is like, is the Christian life personal or is it communal? Right? Like, is the Christian life about how I'm supposed to live my life uh, and my personal relationship with the Lord, or is it about like going to church, being part of a, a, a community, right? And when, and then it's really kind of a quick trick question, right? Like, because we shouldn't, we shouldn't pit those things up against each other. It's not individual or communal, like, it's really both. What we see is that in the beginning of the scriptures, that we know that God cre- called creation good, right? We see that in Genesis 1. He started creating things, and then he says, this is good. Creation is good. But when was the first time that the Lord said that something is not good? The first time was in Genesis 2 when he said it is not good for man to be alone. And then he created a partner for Adam. Because, see, we are not meant to be alone. He's not just speaking about this, the husband-wife relationship. He's talking about a core facet of humanity. A core facet of humanity. And the reason that we're not created to be alone, that we're created for each other, is because as creatures made in the image of God, we are vitally connected to a communal God. God himself, he's one God who exists in community. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, community in himself, and that's why we long for community. That's why we long for connection with other human beings, is because we were made in the image of God. It's, it's, it's woven into the very fabric and fiber of our being. 
You see, community is one of the deepest needs of the human heart. It's like, that's why it's the one thing that like nobody wants to die without, right? Like nobody wants to die alone. Nobody wants to die alone. Like, we all work hard throughout life to gain stuff, to get, like, you know, like a, a, a nice home, to have, like, a great family. Uh, we work hard to, 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 to gain things and to gain status. But at the end of the day, the one thing that, like, people on their deathbed care about is I, I just don't want to be alone. I want to know that my life matters to someone else. You see, though God saved us as individuals, right? Like if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, then you know that you have a personal relationship with God. Like you as an individual, you've, you've repented, you believe, you've been called, you've been named by him. Like we're all saved as individuals, but we're also immediately incorporated into God's family, into a, into a community. You see, God doesn't just save people to individuals to himself. He saves them to a new community, to a new family. And so the gospel, which shapes our community, calls each of us to be a part of God's people. First Corinthians chapter 12 says, For just as a body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so what Paul's saying here in this passage is that every single believer... Every single person who calls on the name of Jesus, who's a follower of Jesus, every person of every nation, race, gender, season of life, who's a follower of Jesus, is a member of this singular body. From every corner of the world, God has drawn together this spiritual community whose members share this common faith, this common life in Christ. You see, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, as we, we were reading in, in, in Nehemiah, like, like the community of God was a, a, a single race, Israel, a single nation that had a primary city with a single temple of worship. Now, in the New Testament, on the other side of Jesus, on the other side of the cross of the resurrection, we see in the New Testament that community is not geographical. It's not related to common interests. But it's related to a common relationship that we all have with Jesus. And the church has a global scale. Like we know that, that the church exists all throughout the world. It has for the last, uh, you know, thousands upon thousands of years. And it has a global scale, scale but pr- this community, this gospel-shaped community is primarily, it's primarily lived out at a local level. Right? That's why we gather as a local church, because this type of community that the New Testament calls us to is lived out at the local level. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're part of the Christian church, then you are in community with other believers, whether you like it or not. And that community might actually flesh itself out in you meeting with people in community, and you might acknowledge it or you might not acknowledge it, but the fact of the matter is if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a part of this family. You're a part of this community. This reality is a foundation for how we live life together. Romans 12 tells us we are individually members of one another. I mean, Jesus told his disciples over and over again, he says, he says your city set on a hill. Your flock under a shepherd. Your new nation, a royal priesthood. In case you didn't know, you can't be a city by yourself, right? Like, you can't be a city by yourself. You need a community. Jesus came to earth to create a new community, a spiritual family. And now, because of that, the primary way that we experience Him. The primary way that we experience a relationship with God in His presence and glory isn't through like rituals and spiritual exercises, but it's through Christ-formed, Christ-shaped relationships with God and His people. And so if you're a follower of Jesus this morning and you've whittled down your Christianity to just like attending a service, but in your weekly personal life, like you aren't part of deep, authentic 
intimate community with others who have also experienced the grace of God, then you're not truly worshiping God the way that God intended you to. You're not. And so the reason this matters is because this reality should change. This reality that we're not just saved to God, but that we're saved to a people. It should change all your relationships in a local church. It should change all your relationships in the church. We're made to have like the most, uh, to have these strong, legit relationships like with other people who are also followers of Jesus. And like most of us don't. Most of us don't have that kind of community, don't, that kind of, those kind of relationships. But the fact that we share a common life together because of Jesus and he's called us into a common mission together should stimulate us to share in gospel-shaped community. I said this sort of analogy earlier on in our, in our Nehemiah series, but like you see this point fleshed out in like every major blockbuster like family film, right? Like every single Pixar film that we all love sees this self fleshed out, right? You see Buzz and Woody, right, in Toy Story. They just can't stand each other, right? They're just not seen eye to eye. They're not on the same page. But all of a sudden when they realize that they have a shared identity and a shared mission, to survive, right? Then all of a sudden, they're the best of friends. Like, you see that with Carl and Russell and Up, right? Like, Pixar is great at this. Like, every single Pixar thing has two characters that don't get along. One of them thinks the other one's too quirky or too rough around the edges. And then something happens to where they all of a sudden realize, man, we have a shared identity and a shared mission. And all of a sudden, they're, like, inseparable, you see, that's so much more true to, for those, those of us who are followers of Jesus. How much more true is it that we have this shared identity? We're given a new identity in Christ. The Bible says you're a new creation. We're also given a shared mission. Make disciples of all nations, right? That's the Great Commission, something that every believer is called to participate in. And so this whole thrust of the New Testament teaching on community is, is, is uh, uh, this whole thrust of New Testament teaching is so tied to the community of God. Like you can't live out Christianity apart from the local church. And so that's why we need to like fight for it from day one. That's why we're talking about it right now as we have a break in between pr- preaching series. We need to fight for it from day one because in the beginning of a church, like you, you want to start to create and shape and form a culture that has community that's shaped by the gospel. We don't want community because we all look the same or because we're all on the same stage of life because we're not or because we all have the same interests because we don't or listen to the same music because we don't. But we do have a shared identity and we do have a shared mission. We have community that's shaped by the gospel and that's what we want to live out. And so as we're walking through Romans 12, I want us to look at five marks of gospel-shaped community. Five marks of gospel-shaped community. Here's the first one. Gospel-shaped community is driven by the gospel. Kind of a no-brainer, right? That's like low-hanging fruit. Gospel-shaped community is driven by the gospel. Read verse 1 through 3 with me. In Romans 12, he says, Paul saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now notice in verse 1 he says, I appeal to you. And then what does he say? Therefore. I appeal to you, therefore. And there's just this basic rule in biblical literacy in how to read the Bible that when you see the word therefore, that means that some line of thought is being concluded, right? If you grew up in the church, you've probably heard this cheesy rule, right? Like whenever you see the word therefore, you should ask yourself, what is the therefore what? Therefore. What is the therefore therefore? Is it corny? Yeah. But helpful? Totally. 
Like when he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, our job, <clears throat> as we're reading the scriptures, is at that point, when we see that word, therefore, our job is to look back at to what Paul has been teaching the church in Rome. This is the book of Romans, right? So we look back to what Paul has been teaching the church in Rome before this point. And what we see is at the beginning of Romans, in Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of what? The gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then he spends the next 12 chapters unpacking what that gospel is. Romans 1 through 12 is this, his kind of like big summary, this big dissertation on the benefits of the gospel, on the content and benefits of the gospel. The sum of Romans chapter 1 through 12 is, is, is basically this, that we are more sinful and broken than we could ever know, and we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we could ever fathom. That's the sum of the gospel in Romans 1 through 12, that we are more sinful and broken than we know, us in the world that we live in. All of creation is more broken than we know, but... Those of us who are in Christ are more loved and accepted than we could ever fathom. And so that's the sum of what, 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 what Paul taught in the first 12 chapters of, first 11 chapters of Romans. And so for, so he says now, therefore, because of that, because of those mercies, read the rest of verse 1 and 2 with me. He says, in light of that, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, his words are important here. They carry a weight. Notice he didn't say, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by your religious piety by your religious efforts, by your good works. No, he doesn't say that. He says, do not be conformed, but be transformed. In other words, there's a power that comes from the mercy of God revealed by the Spirit in the cross of Jesus that changes us. That's why gospel-shaped community needs to be grounded on, shaped by driven by this good news, the mercies of God. Paul says, therefore, in light of these mercies, live in this way. See, the things of the faith are not something that you can just muster up, including gospel-shaped community. You can't just muster up biblical community. A work needs to happen on our hearts. We need to encounter who Jesus is to love him, to have this fire in our hearts burn for him and then for his people. It's in light of the mercies of God. That's why we celebrate the gospel every single week. Like we want to, we want to, to ruminate on and meditate on and be changed by the gospel so that we can live out community in the way that God prescribes. Um, so this work needs to happen to us, but we shouldn't be fooled by that. Like this doesn't that just because the work is happening to us and in us doesn't mean that it's completely passive. It doesn't mean that we pay, take a passive approach to community and just just kind of wait for um, for God to do that work in our hearts. Like on the one hand, it's like yes, it's God who works in our hearts in that way, but it's also active. It's not just passive; it's active. You see, He says, "Be transformed." Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. In other words, don't just let the good news of your salvation be sort of like this cognitive, like, get out of jail free card, right? Like, it's not just the gospel, the good news of Jesus it isn't just information you store in your head. It needs to work its way down into your heart to burn in your bones, spill out in your passions and in the way that you live your life and the way that you treat other people. The gospel needs to work from our head into our hearts and then to our hands, as the reformers used to say. And so we, without the gospel, like when we, when we, when we deny the, this, this core truth that we're more sinful and broken than we really know, like without the gospel, when we deny that we're broken, that we're sinners in need of grace, when we, then what we do is, is we... Um, we, we, we're basically like not transparent in our community, right? 
Like we feel like we have to put on a front because we're not owning the fact that we're broken. We feel like we need to be put fixed, put be fixed together before we can enter community, right? Like, look, church community isn't for people who've cleaned their lives up. It's not. Tim Keller has a saying where he says, look, the, the church is not supposed to be a museum of saints. It's a hospital for sinners. It's a hospital for sick people. All of us come broken. All of us come with our imperfections to meet Jesus and to be transformed. You see, when we deny that we're broken, when we are not, when our community is not driven by the gospel, where 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 we kind of like um, go around this fact that we're sinful and broken, uh, then what we're, we trade is we're trading the possibility of authenticity and transparency for basically like reputation management, right? So basically our community, the health of our community and our minds becomes like is contingent on how well can I manage my reputation before other people. But see, if you acknowledge that you're more like what the mercies of God in Romans 1 through 11, that you're more sinful and broken than you know, but that you can be more loved and accepted in Jesus than you could ever fathom, Man, that is liberating. That is liberating. You can not only stand before God as you are, but you can stand before each other, right? Like you don't have to put on a front. There's this transparency that's possible because of the gospel. Read verse 3 with me. Paul says, For by grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. With sober judgment. When Paul speaks of sober judgment, what he's pleading his readers to see is, is, is to see themselves rightly. He says, look, like, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think with sober judgment. He's saying, look, I want you to see yourself rightly. I want you to see yourself as a sinner who's in need of grace and who's received that grace in Jesus. You see, the gospel produces true transparency because it removes all pretense. You can let yourself be known. You can let yourself be known. If you own the fact that you're a sinner in need of grace, then, you, then you're free to make honest self-assessments, right? Like only, You can only make honest self-assessments of where you are when you own that fact. Then you can ask, man, where am I at in my faith? What does the gospel look like in my life? How is it impacting my day-to-day life? What is the community that God has called me to love? What are the sins in my life that maybe I'm not confronting and that are affecting other people, affecting my spouse, my family, my neighbors? The sin in my heart that's affecting my church community. What is that? You see, if we want community that is healthy, that is Jesus-centered, then it needs to be shaped by the good news of Jesus, by the gospel. It needs to be gospel-driven. Second point, it needs to be marked by love. And we see this down in verse 10. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. Love one another with brotherly affection. So we've, we've already established how the Bible teaches that like we all belong to each other, right? And now that fact works itself out in a number of different ways. And so what's... If that's true, if we belong to each other, then like what should a response be when one of us kind of kind of falls into weakness, falls into temptation or falls into sin? Should be criticism, gossip, right? Like this holier than thou, shake my head attitude. Like if that's how we respond, then we aren't actually living out gospel-shaped community. In 1 Corinthians 12, 25, Paul says that the church is like parts of the body, or that the church is like parts of the body, and so then therefore there should be no division in the body. He says, but each person should have the same care for one another. We see Paul echoing that here in Romans 12 in verse 4, where he says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And so Paul gives us this metaphor to help us understand what gospel-shaped community should look like. He says that we're like a body, right? 
Like imagine, imagine like how silly would be it would be if like, um, if if like the if the ear and the and and the and the nose just like if the ear tried to be a nose, right? Or like the nose tried to be an ear. Like I mean, we'd be kind of deformed, right? <laughs> like kind of messed up. Like when when like when you when your toe when you stub your toe, right? Like like it's not just like your toe that says like ah my toe is hurt, right? Like your whole body just tenses up, right? It's like because when you get hurt, when something happens, when you experience some kind of pain, like all the other faculties of every other like body part and all these different organs start rushing to care for that pain. That's how our bodies work. And why does the whole body react when one part is, in, is injured? And that's because all body parts are part of this indivisible whole. It's part of this inseparable whole. You see, the healing powers of the whole body demonstrates the care needed that when the one part hurts. And so in the same way, we should never communicate sort of this like negative, Debbie Downer, like indifference toward one another. We should never communicate this negative indifference toward one another. Like the healing powers of the hurting body should rush to the members that are hurting. To rush to the members that are struggling. You see, in gospel-shaped community, in the local church, is basically you have imperfect people joining together with other imperfect people and embarking on this journey towards a renewed future in Jesus together. Like, that's what the local church is. Just a group of imperfect people. It should be a safe place for us to be imperfect before one another and, and to be welcomed warmly and loved. You see, community is made up of all kinds of broken people, and yet we're prone to give up on each other. When someone's broken, we're prone to give up on each other and to slander each other and say like, ah, you know, like they just don't get me or he doesn't do this right or, you know, she's so oblivious to how she is. And like, that's sad, right? Like, that's sad that as Christians, we're cool with condemning like uh, the, the, the weakness that we see in others, but not in the slander that's in our own hearts. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Neither the sexually immoral nor slanderers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And some of you might say, hey, like, you know, like, at least I'm not sexually immoral. But like, man, if you're slandering, if you're judging, prejudging like others in the community of faith, in the community of Jesus, then Paul says, look, like, I'm going to lump you all together, right? Neither of you shall inherit the kingdom of God. You see, some Christians spend so much time putting out the sins out there, outside of the church walls, when we should be dealing first and primarily with the sins that are happening right here in the heart. You see, but it's only when we become more aware of the truth that we belong to each other that we'll actually seek that out, that we'll actually seek to work out the implications of biblical community. Like, if you belong to me, then then I'll love you, right? Like, if we know that we belong to each other, then we'll love each other. Jesus invites us into loving the community of people, the church, that he loved so much. He loved her so much that he died for her. And he invites us to participate in that. He said, look, you didn't choose yourself. He says, I chose you for myself. I chose you for myself. And then he says, I also chose you for each other. You see, the church is not is not meant to be like a consumer good fit to meet our needs. But sometimes we treat it that way. Sometimes we treat the church as a consumer good to fit meet and fit our specific needs. But it's not meant to be that way. I mean, look at look at any no- normal like biological family, right? Like every family's messy. Everyone says, man, like, I wish I could change this about my family, or I wish I could change that about my family. But the family that you have is a family that you're stuck with, and you've got to learn to, like, to, to love each other, right? Like, you don't get to choose the, the family that you're born into, and you also don't get to choose the family that you're saved into. 
should be worked out in a local community. Family life is supposed to be messy, but saturated with love and with grace because of the gospel. And so gospel-shaped community is driven by the gospel. It is marked by love. Thirdly, it expresses honor. It expresses honor. See, we need to go beyond just not slamming each other and take it a step further. Paul tells us in verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdoing one another out in showing honor. Another translation translates it as, as honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourselves. True gospel-shaped community not only eliminates like condemnation and criticism, but it also eliminates competition. It also eliminates competition. That means when one, uh, when another part of the body of Christ is like honored, then we should rejoice because that part belongs to us. We belong to each other. We celebrate the gifts of others. We belong to each other. You see, this competitive thinking that we tend to have, like that's really just a product of Western thinking, right? It's a product of Western thinking. Like we think individualistically. We tend to brood competition instead of cooperation. Brood bitterness instead of honor. But how do you respond? Question we should ask ourselves. How do you respond when God blesses another person in the church and not you? If God blesses one of your friends in the church and not you. Or if he seems to bless that person sooner than, than, than you'd like to be. Let me ask it this way. How do you respond when God blesses another person specifically in a way that you want to be blessed, they get the salary or job that you want, the relationship you wish you had, the ministry that you think that you're called to. Do you respond with, with bitterness or do you honor, do you celebrate them and the grace of God at work in them? You see, Jesus calls us to grace, not to entitlement, to grace. That means we don't earn anything that we're given, including the gifts we use to serve the church. We don't earn those. And so we worship the grace giver, and we want to be like him, and so we give grace to one another. You see, honoring one another isn't just the alternative choice for competition. It means that you look for evidence of God's grace in the people around you. You get to know them. You honor them. You celebrate them. Verse 12 in Romans 12 says, you rejoice in hope. You rejoice in hope. How many of you guys are familiar with the story of the prodigal son? Uh, it's like one of the famous stories, that, that parables that Jesus told. And he tells this story about these two sons, an older son and a younger son. Uh, we don't have time to actually read the passage, but I'll summarize it. And you've got these two brothers, right? And the older brother is kind of like the really put together, super like follow all the rules kind of guy. Um, and the younger brother is um, what many call like the prodigal, right? Like he's the one who just, he asked his, his dad um, like for his inheritance ahead of time, right? Like how messed up is that? I'm not even going to wait till you die. Like I just want your inheritance like right now, right? And so he asked for his inheritance ahead of time and then he squanders it on, on women and things. He ends up totally broke, eating out of a pigsty and he has this epiphany and he says, you know, even the servants in my father's house have a better living situation than I do right now. And so he, he marches, he's like kind of drudgingly marching back to his father's house, thinking like, how am I going to apologize to him? What am I going to say to him? Is he even going to welcome me? And then the father sees this son coming from afar. And he runs to his son and embraces him. And he's crying. And he walks him back to the home and he tells all the servants, get out, like get all the best party stuff, get the best wine, get the best food, like, we're going to celebrate tonight because my son is home, right? And Jesus is telling this story to make a point about how much God loves us in spite of our circumstances. Like, what he's looking for is a humble heart that, that trusts him, that desires him. But Jesus, does, Jesus still, in the story, he, he closes it by saying, you know, the older brother, 
he was looking in on this. The older brother like lost his mind. He just went ballistic. He's like, "What? Why are you throwing him a party? Like I'm the one following all all the rules, right?" And the older son just goes nuts on this. He's saying, "Look, I should be the one honored. I should be the one honored." But you see, that's not the way the kingdom works. That's not the way the family of God works. You don't get to be the older brother who demands that the party's about you, right? And the most incredible thing, and Jesus' point in telling this story isn't, man, look how loved this, this younger son is. The ultimate point of the story is, how amazing is the father? How amazing is this father that he would show so much grace to someone like that? You see, what the older brother should have done is, man, how amazing is our God that he would use someone like my brother, someone like my sister, in that way. Remember, Paul said, outdo one another in showing honor. You see, think about that. Like, like there's, there's nowhere in the scriptures where I'm not, I mean, I'm not against like athletic competition. I don't want you to hear that from me. But there's like nowhere in, in the scriptures where like, like, uh, Competing against against other people is is encouraged, except here. Outdo one another in showing honor. He's like, look, if you're gonna compete, like compete in that. See if you can show more honor than the other person, right? And what's our motivation for, for outdoing one another and showing honor? It's this reality that we belong to each other, that we have this shared identity and this shared mission. You see, that goes a long way in building community. The reality is that we belong to Jesus and to each other. You see, it's hard to be critical or jealous, and it's hard to ignore or dishonor someone that you belong to, that you're united with. When you've both been purchased by Jesus into the same community of faith, it's like, man, you look at your brother or sister in Christ, and you're like, man, we're both recipients of the same amazing, scandalous grace. How awesome is that? The gospel-shaped community is, is driven by the gospel, marked by love, expresses honor. Fourth, it fights for holiness. And we see this in verse 9, where he says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. This means that when someone has gone like kind of off the beaten path, that you help them back up. You help them grow in grace again. You help them on this road of sanctification. You see, the great reality is that we need each other. We're not just called to love each other. Like We need each other. Like Christianity is not a lone ranger faith. You don't get to be a city by yourself. You don't get to live out one another's by yourself, right? Like you can't. It's impossible. If you're going to be all that God would have you be, then, then, then you need me. And if I'm going to be all that God would have me be, then I I need you. You see, and where we cease to understand that, that we need one another in community, when we cease to understand that we need each other, then we handicap the community. You see, that's what Paul teaches here. He says we're individually members of one another. That means that I can never be all that God intended to be if you're not playing your part. And you can't be all that God would have you be if I'm not playing my part or or he or she's not playing their part. We need each other to serve one another, to honor one another, and even to correct each other. You see, this is something that we should fight for, something that we should care about for the purity of the church, for the testimony of Jesus, and out of love for those that, that we belong to. You see, if someone that you know is struggling or is tempted or is like in sin and like they're believers... I'm not saying that you point out the sins of people who are outside of the community of faith, right? But if you're part of a local church and you're part of this family here and and you know that someone that is 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 living in a way that's destructive, then remember, if we're driven by the gospel, then you know God will not reject that person. And so neither should we. God won't reject them, and so neither should we. That's why verse 12 says, Rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation. And see, there's a flip side to this. If our community is marked by sharpening one another, then that not only means that you fight for the holiness of others, but you let let others fight for your own holiness. That means that you have a teachable uh, 
uh, spirit too. Like this, this whole idea of like re- repentance and like confession. That's not just for about like when. The, that's not just for the, the season that we're saved. That's for every season in life for the Christian. We should ask ourselves, like, where is the gospel living out in my life? Where is the good news of the gospel growing in my life? Am I stagnant? Have I plateaued? Or am I growing in my faith? You see, this opportunities that we have to fight for holiness, to imitate the love of Jesus, to speak truth and love, and be, it should it be like sort of the safe place to connect and to talk about our, our most, our stubborn sins, right? Like the opportunities we have to fight for that should create hope in this community for healing. It should create hope for growth. You see, we all need to find people who can be there for us in our corner, who can be there for us in our corner to encourage you in your strengths, but who also aren't like all too impressed by you, right? And can be honest about your blind spots and your weaknesses. And the goal of that, look, the goal of fighting for holiness in ourselves and in others is to see the other person flourish. That's the goal of, of fighting for it. Look, like if, if, if your goal in like pointing out somebody else's like struggle is to feel better about yourself, then don't do it, right? Like your heart's not in the right place. But if your goal is to see them grow, to see them flourish, then fight for that. You see, we have two options on how to respond when somebody wrongs you. Either like get revenge on them, right? Or you just ignore it and, and forget it, right? But both of those approaches, approaches are, are selfish. Kind of a moment of like personal confession here. Like I'm, I'm prone to do like the second part. Like I'm prone to when hard situations come, especially like in my marriage, I'm prone to just want to forget about it, right? To just want to move on, to just avoid the hard conversations in there. Like this is real talk. Right, like, like that's that's how I'm 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 wired. That's that's like my sin. I'm prone to just avoid that. Um, and you see, like, like Alyssa is like re- really good at, at at challenging me to to grow, and like I appreciate that. She fights for my holiness. She sees inconsistencies and like, man, you know, like you say this thing over here, but like you live in this way, right? And like, I appreciate that. And, and, and like, I grow because of that. But on the flip side, like, like, like I, I find myself just like paralyzed in situations like that where I'm like, man, I don't want to have this conversation. I just want to, I just want to avoid it. And one of the conversations that, that we've had early in our marriage, I mean, we just celebrated our five-year anniversary. It's like still early in our marriage, but, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, one of the, these conversations that, that we were having is that, um, you see, when, 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 I, when I do that, when I avoid that, that conversation, when I'm not fighting for our holiness, when I'm not willing to have hard conversations, then, like, she doesn't feel safe. And see, that's counterintuitive, right? It's like, I mean, I don't want to say that because I don't want to hurt her. But, like, at the end of the day, she ultimately, like, she knows. She picks up on that, and she's like, you know what? Like, I don't feel safe when you do that because she says, I feel like you're, you don't, you're not for my flourishing, right? It's counterintuitive for us. Because, like, you see, when, when we correct one another, we should do so with love and humility, but we should still fight for it because we want to see the other person flourish, there's a member of our church who sent me this um, like heartbreaking text message I got earlier this week where he was just like, man, like I'm 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 really struggling with like this certain um, aspect of like our, our our church right now, and I won't go into details. Um, but but he's he's like, you know, like I'm 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 struggling with this. He's like, and I don't know if I'm right, and like I want to meet with you, I want to talk with with you about it. And I just, man, like on one hand, it's like my heart broke that he had this perception. On the other hand, I was like, dude, this brother's brave. I appreciate his heart that he's not unwilling to have awkward and difficult and hard conversations. And I love him for that, right? Like, he, he cares not just about his own holiness, but about, but about mine and about this church's, right? Like, my wife, when she challenges me, like, she cares about my flourishing, and I should do the same for her. 
And so, like, let's make that commitment to one another, right? Like, as a local church, if I know some of you are visitors this morning, so this kind of feels like you're kind of sitting in on sort of like a family meeting, right? But, like, if King's Cross is your church home, then, like, let's make that commitment to each other. Let's be for our flourishing, each other's flourishing in Jesus. Let's be for each other's sanctification and growth in the grace of the gospel. Let's invite Jesus' presence through our transparency by owning and confessing the ways that we wrong each other. Let's show love to one another. You know what? When we do that, when we do that, then by the grace of God, like it'll resonate also as a witness, not just to each other, but to others among us in our community, in the world, who are seeking a safe and welcoming place to call home, a spiritual family. The fifth thing that gospel-shaped community is marked by is uh, gospel-shaped community constantly prays. That's our last point. Gospel community constantly prays. We see this in verse 12 where he says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. You see, if you have this understanding of community that's shaped by the gospel, then it'll deeply affect the way that you pray. It'll deeply affect who you pray for. Like sometimes we buy into that individualistic approach to faith that the Western world sort of like throws upon us, right? Like I'm concerned about my growth as a Christian, my progress and holiness. I want to be part of a community that makes me feel comfortable. I want to pursue my calling in ministry, my growing in ministry skills, and pray that God would enable me to grow and prosper, right? But, but biblical community will cause us to pray for others, to pray for others, to pray that, that we would grow. We start to pray in the second person, right? God, I pray that we would grow, that, that we would turn from weakness, from sin, that we would unite in our calling, that we would use our gifts well to serve one another, to serve our community. You see, sometimes we get so consumed about how others are living, are, are not living up to our standards, but we neglect to even pray for them in a spirit of love. You see, but if you spend more time listing and thinking about somebody else's faults than you do praying for their holiness, then you don't love them the way that Christ would have you love them. It's the entire body. It's the entire church. Not just me, not just you. It's like all of us that needs to grow. Paul, all throughout his letters in the New Testament, uh, Paul and Peter, they're like writing these letters to these churches, and, and, and he's telling, telling them how he's praying, like for them, for them. Like he's praying for them as churches. And so I'm not saying that we should like ignore your own personal responsibility to grow, right? Like the whole body grows as each individual member grows, but we should have a chief concern for the growth of the whole body, so a question we should ask is, like, do, do you have that concern? Do you pray in that way? Like, I should be concerned about your growth as much as I am my own. When you show up, like, if, you, if this is where you go to church on Sundays, if you show up and you look around, like, do you think, man, I'm, I'm going to pray for these people this week. I wonder how that guy's doing with that job situation. I wonder how she's doing with that one struggle. I wonder how they're doing with that relationship. Right? Like, are you going to pray for these people this, this week? How much room is there for self-absorbed like individualism in a New Testament Christianity? Like, there's none. There's no room for it. And yeah, like we see a tension between the individual and the whole, but Paul's really helpful for us and strikes a good balance here in Ephesians chapter 4. Read it with me. He says, in Ephesians 4, verse 15 and 16, he says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, Paul knew that the body doesn't grow unless each member grows, and each member does its part. He was concerned for the individual, but also for the larger purpose that each member grows and works and honors and sharpens and prays and builds up each other in love. And so we've seen that 
gospel-shaped community. It's, it's driven by the gospel. It's marked by love. Expresses honor. It fights for holiness. It constantly prays. So, so now, what do we do with that? Like, we need to have real relationships with each other, right? Have real transparent, authentic relationships with each other. We pray for one another, and then we plug into community. We haven't launched community groups yet at this church. We will in the fall. Uh, but throughout the summer, like we have these different events for us to gather as a church family. Like, and, and this is an opportunity for us to connect and to grow and get to know each other. Um, every, like, almost every Sunday after church, um, like there's a group of people that, that will <clears throat> grab lunch together afterwards. Um, if you don't have plans, I'm not saying change your plans, but if you don't have plans, like, like maybe you should join us have relationships with one another. You see, Jesus is faithful to build his church. And he'll continue to do this. And so we need to abide in him. This is his church. We can only love, honor, fight for holiness, and pray for one another when we're secure on our relationship with Jesus. You see, you won't truly love unless you pick up your cross and follow him. You won't truly honor unless you humbly submit to the Spirit and let him give you new eyes and a new heart to see the dignity in other people. You won't truly sharpen others and fight for, fight for their holiness if you're more concerned about pleasing them than pleasing God. If you're more about their happiness than their holiness. And you won't pray unless you recognize the creaturely dependence that you and this church have on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Like right now, he's at the right hand of the Father, praying right now. And we, when we pray for each other, we get to join him in that work. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about King's Cross Church or make a donation, please visit kx.church. Here at King's Cross, we believe that worship means more than just listening to a sermon, and we encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. For Sunday morning meeting time and location for King's Cross Church, please visit kx.church. Thanks again for listening.